Welcome to the SEO Freelancer Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Leroy, and today I am talking to freelancer Steve Topp, who has made over $40,000 a month while he was working full-time. Let's get right into this. Hey, Steve. How's it going? How's it going, Nick? Well, it's been a while since I've worked full-time, but at the time I was doing that, but it's been about two years now that I haven't done that. Yes, absolutely. So today, just to be clear, we're going to be talking about a time where he was bringing in significant income while maintaining his full-time position. So Steve, let's start. Can you give us a little bit of an introduction? You know, what's a brief description of your background and how long you've been freelancing? Yeah, sure. So I've been in SEO since about 2010. Uh, started more as a blogger um, and then um, just got a job at an SEO agency actually being um, more of a content manager role but um, you know those things are pretty closely linked so started blogging about SEO um, you know even before I was really doing it um, just because I was so interested in it this was back in like 2010 2011 and um, you know quickly realized that that's what I wanted to be doing got to ask tons of questions to the SEO folks like who you know have been having more experience at that agency um, every day and just quickly accelerated my knowledge to the point where I became the SEO director and then um, just hopped between a couple of agencies, uh, got laid off and then um, got a job at FreshBooks, which was definitely sort of a launch pad for me. Um, grew their organic visits to over 50,000 visitors a day um, and ranked for keywords that had um, ranked number one for keywords that had 300,000 search volume. Um, so basically did really well at FreshBooks. And um, I, when I left that company, uh, I was actually hired as a consultant by them. So they were one of my um, first clients when I broke out on my own. Wow, that's fantastic. And I know you kind of gave us a little bit of a walkthrough already of your career, but do you mind sharing a little bit more specifically about that, that first copywriting job? Um, I think you said it was 2010 yeah. and maybe what your salary yeah. was at the beginning. Oh yeah, for sure. So um, I was a copywriter at a web development agency called Web Canada. They are no longer um, uh, alive, but um, they actually rebranded a while, but I think they sold that company. Um, and I was a, just a web copywriter for them and I was making 30K a year. Um, and um, I remember like I was basically put in charge of um, using, uh, sorry, uh, launching their blog. And one of the first blogs that I ranked was how long uh, should I wait to redo my website? So it was like, redo your website was, uh, was, was the keyword. And, um, you know, just put it in like seven times and boom, I ranked and I thought it was so cool. And I remember like showing my boss and they're like, yeah, that is really cool. And, uh, and from there, like, it was just kind of like, you know, I can do, I can keep doing this. So, um, basically, you know, that, at that time, this was, yeah, 2010, 2011, 2012, I think SEO was um, a really exciting time back then as I mean, just as it is now, but this was sort of the Matt Cutts era um, of, of SEO. And um, this is when, you know, Panda and Penguin uh, were, were first released. And those were like, you know, I would say Google's two big blows to the SEO industry in terms of changing, you know, how business was done. Um, like quite significantly. So it was really fortunate to be a part of that at that time and like witnessing that big shift, um, you know, in the sort of 2012, 2013, that era. 
Yeah, and just to be clear, Steve is from Canada, so 32 is even a little bit less if you were to convert that to U.S. Well, dollars. It's, not, you know, it's pretty pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because my first job right about that same area, 2009, was $32,000 U.S. Um, for kind of a similar role. I was brought in to teach myself SEO. But you know what was actually interesting, Nick? At that time in 2011, there was parity between the U.S. and Canadian dollar. Um, there was oh. actually the same. Um, so we I remember I bought a very expensive pair of headphones, and I was like, man, I got such a deal because the, the dollar was the same. I love that. You know, fun story real quick. My very first paycheck, I won't forget it simply because it was $1,111. I used to buy a flat screen TV because somebody had told me once, you know, this will feel like the most money you've ever made because as you get older, you'll just have more responsibilities. So, you know, isn't it kind of funny how we look back and $32,000, you know, kind of felt like a blessing at the moment. And now <laughs> maybe not quite so much. Yeah. You can yeah. make that a month pretty easily, I would say, as a freelancer. So you mentioned that your last job before going out free freelance full-time was at FreshBooks. Do you mind sharing what your final salary was there? So kind of making the difference between 10 years starting point to 10 years later? At, at, uh, yeah. Um, so just to give you an idea, like um, I was doing really well. I'll just backtrack just a little bit before that. Um, I was at an agency and it was a good gig and I was actually earning commission because I had created several new services at the agency. And uh, for one reason or another, I won't get into the minutia, but I, I just knew I had to leave. And um, they offered me around 100K to stay. And, um, and I, I ended up declining it and making more of a lateral move to a different agency that then laid me off. So I was like, okay, well, I have got, you know, I've got no job. So I'm much more open to different offers. And when I started at FreshBooks, it was 75K um, Canadian a year. And then I got one raise um, to 80K. So it wasn't a whole lot. And I knew like the value that we were bringing in, we had 10X'd our free trials um, through SEO. And, uh, you know, getting a raise at a company like that is not based on performance. It's more based right. on how you play the game. And uh, I wasn't playing the game as well as some other people, I don't think. Steve, I think you and I could be in the... Uh not playing the political game correct club because that's kind of yeah. a big deal on my side um, as some people have seen with my own story i got a ten thousand dollar raise and then was like oh a couple weeks later during covid but still it shows you that you know performance is only worth so much and you know the the politics behind it i i was an easy one to cut off evidently well the raises come by committee right so they basically have everybody's name on the board and all the directors vote on who they think they should get the raise. So if you're not popular and you've never spoken to half the directors in the marketing department who are voting on that, you're never going to get it. Right. How are you going to make that case for yourself when maybe three of the five people in the room know your name? Yeah, it didn't. It didn't really matter in the end, but um, yeah, it was just. Uh, it was. Uh, yeah, it feels. It feels like a slap in the face at the time because you know, like the, at least in my case, I knew that the contributions I was was making to the company was significant, 
Um, but it was also interesting because this was around the time that like that we, we had cycles for each raise and the time that I really thought I was going to get one because our, we were performing so well, I didn't, but at the same time, like this was like September, 2019 at that time, I was probably making around 15 K, um, through my, um, my freelance business. And then by the time I left FreshBooks, I was making significantly more than that. And let's jump into that, because as we know from the title of this podcast, when you were working at FreshBooks, you were freelancing as well and bringing in basically half your salary every single month. So can you walk yeah. us through a little bit of what that, you know, what's that process like? I mean, obviously, from a dollar perspective, it's pretty enticing to leave the nine to five. But walk us through just a little bit what it was like juggling full time and freelance. And what was the the final moment where you were like, I'm done. I'm just going to work for myself full time. Yeah. I think also like worth mentioning just like how it all started too. Right. Um, how did I go from like having one very small, um, lawyer client to suddenly like three really nice paying clients for that at that time, that was about, you know, September, 2019, it was about 5k a month and, um, and a uh, 5k per client per month. And um, so what I basically happened was um, we had ranked number one for invoice template. And that was the big keyword that we were going for. And we finally did it, right? Didn't know how long it was going to last. It ended up lasting just under two years. But um, we had ranked number one. And I we were on our way to an escape room uh, just for like a team outing. And, um, and I just posted on LinkedIn, like, oh my, like we've ranked number one for this keyword. Thank you, Chris, Wesley, and like all the people who contributed. And um, I really didn't think anything of it. I pressed post and then went to the escape room. And then um, I got two leads out of that. And each of those were, um, one was I think 7K and then the other one was like 4K um, per month. And then I started working on those two clients based off of that one LinkedIn post. So it just showed me the power of LinkedIn first and foremost. And this was also right around the time that I started SEO notebook. Um, so, you know, having those two clients plus that criminal lawyer that I was working on, um, started to like, really be like, wow, like I can make much more than I'm currently, uh, making it um have my job and uh you know maybe if i just keep on doing these linkedin posts uh maybe i can get some more clients right and um and this was also the time where i launched yeah seo notebook and about two months into my newsletter where i just email out one piece of strategy each week um i had about a thousand uh subscribers so it it also started to provide leads as well and actually today i would say that um, I get most of the inquiries through my website and maybe it's like an 80 or maybe a 70, 30 split between my website and LinkedIn these days. And sorry, I, you had some other questions there as well, but I kind of just went a little bit into the, to the past a little further than that. No, that's super helpful. And, and first off, I'll just say everybody definitely go check out seonotebook.com. It's you know an email that I appreciate, you know, getting each week and, uh, as someone who also sends out an email each week, you know, through the SEO for lunch, you know, I can, you know, say pretty much the exact same thing. It's an amazing opportunity to get your name out there, be able to spread some really good information. And it's kind of a constant opportunity to 
um, pitch your services and your brand. It's I have no surprise at all that you found so much success with that. Yeah, um, anybody, the, th the key is consistency and you'll say the same thing, right, Nick? Like you have to be sending weekly. You can't, you can't let it slip. I know there's certain people, um, I won't name any names, but like people um, start newsletters and then stop them and then like really like just don't keep them up and they don't do anything. And um, it, I just got that advice very early on is like, if you don't be, if you're not sending weekly, then people are simply going to forget who you are. And that's so true. There's, I will out one person cause he's a buddy of mine, but like Sean Markey, like he has a really good newsletter that I've always appreciated. He's kind of snarky and to the point. And he was really good for a long time. And I give him a bunch of crap because he's kind of stopped and put it back together. And yeah, and it's just all about what um, you're prioritizing at the time. But I think similar to you, Steve, like I've been writing the SEO for lunch for five years now and, you know, I have about 5,500 subscribers and it's just now I don't want to let anybody down. The, the people that I've talked to you know, have told me it's important to them and selfishly, it's a good opportunity to get my name and brand out there. And I suspect you see the same value and you probably have a, a similar routine for SEO notebook as well. Yeah, usually Fridays is when I put everything together. Okay, yeah, mine is Monday. It's like I don't have the uh, patience to be able to do it out of Friday. You have to be. Yours is a little different because you've got to get like breaking news, right? So, but for right. me, like I'm just literally like I'm noticing things in my own work, or I'm noticing a thread on Facebook or Twitter or on LinkedIn that has some interesting knowledge, and I'm just taking one piece of advice. Like my emails could literally be like three sentences and just telling you to do something right so like it's a little bit different than the curation that you, that you have to do right but i think similar to seo you know it's not the quantity of words it's the value of the words right hopefully so yeah people like it um 12, subscribers in which is just crazy yeah that's awesome congratulations on that milestone it seemed like just the other day i was congratulating him 10,000. so let's race to 25 and see who gets there first Let's see. <laughs> Maybe we could combine our lists. <laughs> there we go. Elena, we're coming after you. Steve and Nick. <laughs> so I think the, the last part of that question, then we'll move on, is obviously you've got these clients. They're paying pretty well. Hopefully, you know, they're making you happy as well as you are them. But what was the tipping point for leaving FreshBooks? Like you obviously made a commitment at one point in time that full-time work is no longer of value to you. Yeah, so um, I got some advice um, that was basically, and it's super valuable if anybody's in this position, don't leave your job until it's costing you money to stay in your job. So what that means is um, if you can float both things at the same time, go to, go to your nine to five, come home, have dinner, maybe spend a, a, an hour or two chilling and then go back to your computer and, and do your work and make it all manageable, then keep doing that as long as you can, because you're going to build up some savings. Um, and um, when it gets to the point of I've got people knocking at my door and I've either got to tell them no or tell them yes and then quit my job, that's the point when I did it. And what I actually ended up doing um, in, I guess, January, February, 2020, uh, right before COVID um, was 
I took on all this business. I asked FreshBooks um, if I could uh, go down to two days a week. Um, they told me, if you want to be an employee, you've got to work three days a week. And, but if you want to go on contract and become a freelancer, we can we can basically do two days per week. And once I got the approval from them, um, I ended up taking all of my vacation days in my last month because I needed the time to work on these new clients. And then, yeah, my first um, day as a full-time entrepreneur was March 2nd, 2020, about two weeks before um, we all got locked down. So um, I was pretty nervous at the time. I didn't really know what would happen. I had two clients cut their budget in half um, just out of sort of caution. Um, one of them ended up raising it back up. The other one um, stayed at that that level. Uh, but pretty soon after, I would say like, you know, April, May, um, things really started to tick up um, and and business has been great ever since. I love hearing that. I mean, especially, like I said, you and I had started really at the same time, you um, kind of in March and myself in May. And, you know, I think it sounds like both of us have been very fortunate that business has been good, you know, obviously some ups and downs, but, you know, very much largely in the positive. So I'm super pumped to hear that, you know, things have been awesome for you. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. It's been cool. Um, I really never expected it to um, move as fast as it did, but yeah, it moved pretty fast. I agree with you. Literally, my first goal was, I always kind of joke with my wife, it was like, this is a survive year. If I can make 90% of what my old salary was, I was going to be really happy. You know, unlike what you were kind of saying, and I would agree a thousand percent, like definitely come up with a little bit of a savings plan and a runway and get this line of of leads before you go out full time. But I didn't have those and it always turned into, you know, we're going to pay this month and then we're going to go to this next month. And before I know it, that's what I kind of uh, based the the story that I wrote, you know, about my freelancing experience. Like before I knew it, I made my entire salary back and almost doubled it within eight months. And it's just amazing yeah. when you commit to SEO and you have the right skill sets, you know, how much just of your time you can get back and how valuable it is just even from a dollar perspective. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, even like four months before I left FreshBooks, I was an incorporated company, which I, I, I found it kind of cool <laughs> at the time. Walking, the walking, around, walking around those halls and like making more than every executive there, it was quite a surreal time. And isn't that really neat though? I mean, you don't have to be, this company with a massive corporate office and private planes to be a company. I mean, similar to you, you know, I was freelancing part-time and you know, I had become an LLC and you know, I had even picked the dorky name Backbreaking SEO, which now <laughs> I'm a DBA as you know, Nick Leroy Consulting. But you know, it, it's it's fun to just set it all up, you know, take taxes a little bit more seriously. And you know, you're a business, like this is a real deal. And, it's very exciting. Yeah, I mean, like when I was working at FreshBooks and we were servicing small business businesses, we used to say, oh, well, we wanted to go after like the scaling segment, right? And even like back then in my mind, like scaling was like, you know, $10 million company. 
but didn't realize that like, you know, a single like person company, you know, with some contractors can be a million dollar, $2 million company. And they don't care about spending a hundred dollars a month on invoice software. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the other thing, you know, we can talk about, you know, you're comparing the revenue from second year to your first year, you know, you made a substantial jump. And I suspect part of it goes to just what you were saying. It's more value-based pricing, you know, when you're able to take your skill sets and have these companies make multiples of their revenue, you know, why should you necessarily tie yourself to an hourly rate? So I guess on that note, mm -hmm. I'd just be curious what, what feedback do you have on that aspect and what has contributed to your success and what has been a relatively short you know full-time seo freelance career yeah um the hourly rate things like interesting and like um i know that we share a common connection in eli schwartz who uh who wrote product led seo and eli's a guy who i actually met while i was still working at freshbooks he was introduced to me by somebody else um who we who both knew and uh he was he's been such an awesome like very casual mentor but like the information that he gives me is great and I'm like always actually spoke with him yesterday um uh but you know going to that like value-based pricing piece you're there's so much leverage with seo um you know you can literally say to a client like hey i think you should write you know 150 blogs and this is what i want you to do with them like here's my example um so i was working for an online education client and they sell really expensive live courses for things like learning python web development product management stuff like that and um, i said to them like and i was actually billing this client hourly and i said to them uh, this was at the time 2020 um, right when i sort of started and um, i said to them why don't you for each discipline that you have why don't you come up with like why don't we come up with um like say 15 to 20 questions that people ask um, when they're evaluating this type of career. So like, you know, what companies hire um, Python developers? How long does it take to learn Python? Like basically these types of questions. And we verticalize those questions across every one of their disciplines. And we wrote basically answers in a new section of the website that had um, all these answers to, to these questions. And the traffic just went crazy. Like it was, I don't know what, it, what it's at now, but it's definitely over like 10,000 a day um, to these 150 to 200 articles or whatever it ended up, ended up being. Um, and uh, literally like that was just the thought that I had, right? And they took the ball and just ran with it, right? So if you're charging hourly, that thought is worth what three hundred dollars an hour versus if you're uh, a consultant being paid you know ten thousand dollars a month that's your you know that thought comes with the package of being a consultant right so um you know i was i'm okay because that was actually a really great case study for me and all that stuff but if i had to do it all again i would not be doing hourly Right. And I think you would probably admit as well as something that I go through as well is it really goes hand in hand with just the confidence of the value that you're providing. I think when you have a little bit less confidence in what you can provide to a company, it's a lot easier to hide behind, you know, an hourly rate and potentially even a cheap hourly rate 
Whereas if you go in and you know that you have the value and you're going to set up a framework that is going to exponentially return, you know, your cost, it's a lot easier there to puff up your chest and say, this is what it is and not necessarily fluctuate on it because you know you're going to help someone. I did. I at least felt a little bit okay about it because the most I ever charged that client was 15 K a month. And that was pretty awesome. Uh, but what I remember when I pitched him, my hourly rate in my head was $200. And when, when I looked him in the eye, I said, I'm going to go to 300 and I just said 300 and he accepted it. So at least I felt a little better, um, about it at that time. But yeah, looking back on it, I would have done things much differently. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's it's not a perfect science, at least, again, from my experience, you know, you don't want to do these flat fees, because if you don't really budget kind of the time that you think is going to go into it, you very much can still lose. So a lot of people say, you know, you should always do consulting work, it shouldn't be tied to hourly rates. But I do think we have to be smart in how we approach it so that we don't lose in the end. Yeah, all right, definitely. Um, I think it also comes with confidence and like you yourself building your newsletter and your presence on social media and all that stuff, um, that helps you charge more because they, people basically, you know, if you're not like immersed in SEO, you need a quick way to tell like who knows their shit and who doesn't, right? So people, you know, we have social proof, right? We have newsletter subscribers, we have followers. When we post on LinkedIn or post on Twitter, it gets retweets or likes or whatever. People can see all that. So um, they, you know, you're good by association because other people endorse you. So um, if anybody is looking at freelancing, I would say, you know, create content, like just don't, don't worry about if, if anybody like doesn't Obviously, if you have like a really great unique idea, that's going to give you an advantage, but just having content out there um, and committing to that, like helps differentiate you um, and helps you sell. I think that should be everybody's biggest takeaway from this podcast episode. Really go out there. Don't be afraid to share your knowledge. And it's not necessarily even about being right or wrong. I think there's a lot in this SEO industry where people like to point fingers, but there are very few things that are just hard fact, right and wrong. So push your theories, test them, and more importantly, measure them and share those results as well. Yeah, so see, like if you're, pa if you're passionate, you should be able to write a little bit every week, no problem. Like an email newsletter or just an email in general, right? podcast on youtube or like youtube videos tutorials yeah social media posts on linkedin i think linkedin is a hugely underutilized asset for seos uh, like you know to me there's only like you know a handful maybe 10 people who are posting good seo knowledge on linkedin and uh, there's lots of room for more people i think Steve, I'm so glad that you said that. Admittedly, I am not the best and I have tried several different ways, but I will say, however, I agree with you that LinkedIn is very valuable. When I went out on my own and just even blasted out that traditional, okay, I'm out on my own, this is gonna be so cool. You know, anyone ping me if they need some. I landed a $12,000 three month project. And that was literally Amazing. like month one. And it wasn't somebody that I knew, it was my network, who liked it or shared it that then reached out to that second and third tier 
And like I said, it was a local web development firm that was taking on a project and they knew they didn't have what it took to do the migration properly. We teamed up. <laughs> it was awesome. And that was literally from taking 30 seconds to say on LinkedIn oh, yeah. that it was available. That was like my post um, right before the escape room, right? Like, um, and I can't tell you like how often this happens. Like I get um, messages that say, Hey, Steve, I've been seeing your LinkedIn posts for a very long time. Like I've, you know, been following you on LinkedIn for about a year. And then like now it's a time to reach out. Right. Like so there's like I always think in the back of my head, there's probably like 20 people who want to hire me at some point. So I just have to keep on, you know, being present on LinkedIn so that when they're you know close to buy, they they still remember who I am. And Steve, I don't want to belabor too much on this topic, but I bet you would agree. I've been writing the SEO for lunch for five years right now, and I'm sure very similar to the SEO notebook, you have some issues that you know resonate really, really well, and some that it feels like week after week just kind of exist for the sake of existing. And it's hard to push through those. But like you said, then all of a sudden you get an email or a phone call. It's like, I've read everywhere you've published in the last year. You know, come work with me on this $50,000 project. It's just insane. Yeah, like whenever I have somebody who um, is a subscriber and, you know, follow has followed me for a while, like it's also so much easier to close those people, right? And those are the exact type of pet people you want to be closing. As you said, you've already kind of proved yourself. You have the social proof and the consistency. You know, maybe they just need to align on pricing. And most of those individuals, you may agree, like pricing is not necessarily their first concern. It's about fit and expertise. Yeah. I mean, for pricing, I'll give you um, another people like another tidbit and always what I one of the first things I check. Um, I would highly recommend a LinkedIn premium subscription. First of all, just you can see the people who are on your profile. Um, it makes you look more legit on LinkedIn. And uh, the thing that I like about it is when you go to the company insights, you can quickly see if the company is growing, right? So if that company has a clear trajectory of increasing their headcount, you know, quarter over quarter, that's probably a good indication that they're in spend mode. So you can gauge that, right? And then you can also look at their funding rounds, right? So if they're in their series B or more, you can maybe estimate that they're in the, I don't know, five to 10K range, or, you know, if they're even going beyond that, right? Um, so I love LinkedIn Insights for helping me gauge the level of their budget. And also just, um, you know, I feel almost like I can't confirm this, but if you if you're on somebody who has a premium profile you know that they can see if you visited or not so like maybe they're almost like obligated to contact you um that they land on your page after they do and that's awesome i've actually been on the edge of whether i was going to subscribe or not and i think that just pushed me over i've been doing a lot of manual work you, know, you get your leads you know, hopefully they have a branded email account so you know where they're coming from. Check out their their role at LinkedIn. But it sounds like everything. Yeah, um, what was I going to say on that? I just had a thought. Um, oh, it just escaped me. Um, oh, I, yeah. Um, I just use the employee um, lowest level LinkedIn. I don't do the prospecting or anything like that. 
Um, sure. I strictly do inbound leads. So I think the job seeker account is what it's called. It's like 35 bucks a month. Pretty low risk, right? Yeah, it's I, I, I just keep it on. I don't even think twice about it. Well, I know what I'm doing as soon as we hang up here. But fortunately for everybody else, we're still here. So let's jump into that. But now you've had you know two incredible years. You're continuing to grow. You've shared with us uh, a lot of your knowledge. So thank you. What I want to talk about is we recently received an email, anyone on the SEO notebook and your various social that you're hiring. Is your goal to, do you want to start an agency? Are you looking to just get some help? Walk us through kind of the decision here. Yeah, definitely not an agency, like definitely not. I, I want to stay close to the work. Um, I'll preface this with saying my first year was me hiring former colleagues of mine to be freelancers. So they would help me with things like content briefs and, um, and you know, still with me doing the overall strategy, but just literally helping me with sort of the grunt work. And I was project managing everything. And then in my second year, I hired a full-time BA. So somebody who could work nine to five, Monday through Friday on Eastern Standard Time. Um, and basically I could just delegate things to directly. And if uh, I found that the VA was um, overloaded, I could still um, service my clients with the help of those colleagues who were freelancers. But the problem that I see with that is that you know, I'm constantly the person who's in the meetings, taking all the follow-ups from the meetings, making the Loom videos to show the freelancers what I need to do, sending that work to either the VA or the freelancer, and then having it come back. So me having to keep track of when all this stuff is coming back, then you know, putting my final seal of approval on it and then sending it to the client. And that's work that I don't want to be doing anymore. Um, so my thought, and really I didn't seek anybody's, like this was all just from me thinking long and hard about what I need, is I basically would like a sidekick in the meetings with me to be privy to everything that's going on in the account for me to offer that value to my clients to say, okay, we need to do X, Y, and Z. We need to rejig this page or we need to incorporate search console keywords into this page and maybe consolidate these two other pages. And instead of me saying that we have to do that to the client and then me like putting together all the tasks and managing all that, I would just like somebody to be in that conversation totally. And then once the meeting is done, they make sure that all those things are done. Um, that's kind of the the role that I envision. And um, I'm willing to, yeah, like I, I'm willing to pay like seven, between 72 and 80K a year um, to have somebody who's, you know, well-spoken, uh, can attend meetings, can offer value to the clients, be organized and help me take care of all this work. And how's the process going? Are you still interviewing and looking? Yeah, I'm literally in the thick of it right now. I just got off an interview that was not good um, prior to this. Um, I was actually really excited about him, but um, it just honestly, like he did not prepare at all. And I was just like, okay, 
sure, whatever. Like, I was like, okay, so are you going to get into your presentation? He's like, uh, uh, hold on a second, pulls up my email, says, okay, you can either present on something you did, or you can break down another site. And he's like, oh, well, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I can do either. I'm like, well, every other candidate had a PowerPoint presentation, <laughs> like, you know, did all this stuff. So I had to end it short. I, I gave him honest feedback, but um, it's going other than that interview, it's going fairly well. The two people that I hired, that I um, interviewed before that, I could see both of them doing the job and doing okay. Um, I've got a few more lined up. And um, the real decision I think I have to make about this is do I look for somebody who has a lot of prior SEO experience and knowledge, or do I go with somebody who's got the soft skills and um, the organization that I need and do I teach them um, sort of from the ground up so I'm teaching them the way I want things to be done because as you know if you're an SEO that could mean many different things um, so I am just kind of wrestling with that question right now well I will volunteer my opinion you can take it for what you like but Please. I have hired people before that I felt were a fantastic fit on the technical side and maybe less of a fit from a culture and communication perspective. Those people very rarely, if ever, work out unless you're going to like stick them in a corner and have them execute. Whereas I've had more success and there's, they have their own headaches if you find someone who is an effective communicator and you can teach them SEO because I find it's far more difficult to take somebody who's not an effective communicator and to train them there than it is to take someone who is a good speaker and teach them the technical aspects of SEO. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's kind of, there's a, I've got, I've got some people who are like super smart, like people that I've zoomed with in the past just because I wanted to pick their brains because I thought they were so smart and they ended up applying to the job and I'm like, is this what I want? Like, do I want another me on the call or do I want like, yeah, somebody who has an interest in SEO, which is obviously important, but you know, as they learn, as the months progress, like they're actually sort of getting really like into it. Right. That's kind of what I'm thinking would be the ideal scenario is, you know, have somebody who's got the communication skills, who's well-organized, who can write um, those skills that basically that I want and then, um, you know, help grow their skills over time and, um, and, you know, just teach them what I need to be done the way I want it to be done. It's a balance. Versus having act. somebody who's going to debate me on, on whether we should do something or not. Well, I think that's probably the last thing you, you want. You know, I think healthy discussion and challenging one or two things here, just saying, hey, can you explain to me why you're doing this versus that? That's always appreciated. But if it's day in, day out, you know, Steve, why are you doing this robots.txt file? Or why are you going to do JavaScript? I heard that's bad. Yeah, you know, that's just a completely different conversation then. Or, hey, or is that even the kind of stuff that you want to be doing for your client, right? Like, like I want to focus on this for the client. But if you're, you know, like it, I, I I find like, yeah, there's there's there was one candidate who took like a very um, like surgical approach um to the website i'm like if you know like first of all i thought that the, the approach that he took 
even if you did fix all those things, wouldn't um, yield the greatest results. And, um, and, you know, if we were to highlight all of those things and want to fix those things on the website, that would take away from the other more impactful stuff that I think we should be doing, right? So, you know, by having somebody who is completely, you know, not an SEO and jumping into a position like that, you completely avoid those types of things, which I'm thinking could be a way to save my sanity. Yeah, and I, and I think kind of final thought on that too, it really depends as well what type of clients you know you and i tend to work on larger clients where you and i also know that just makes the effective communication component so much more important because not everything is going to get done and the technical debt to be able to get some basic things is just going to be incredible so you need to be able to push the right things prioritize them and jump through all the hoops on the contrary side if you're working with small businesses which i know you're not necessarily the more surgical approach might make sense because you have access to the back end and you're really trying to get every little quarter inch of results possible so i could see where oh, yeah. value i just don't know if the first is right for you yeah relying being an seo consultant and relying on the client's developers poses a lot of challenge in many cases so um yeah like there's a yeah, it's, it, it, it really does come down to how do you want to run your business? Where do you think the low hanging fruit is? Like what type of things do you want to be doing for the client? Can you be okay with their images being too large or like, or can you sleep at night um, with, with that? Well, you know, you build out this, like that education hub that I was describing earlier, right? Like you, you kind of have to, um, it, I, I, and, you know, also, like I would say for you and I, like being the CEOs of your one person company, you kind of like having the control over what you do, right? Which is, I think, just a natural thing for, for people in our position. So, um, you know, I'm just thinking long and hard about that right now. I love that. And hopefully you will give us an update as you hire and then just go through that that process. I'll be very interested to see what Steve of six months tells us. Yeah, I got I got 135 applicants in five days uh, for that for that position. That was just one blast to my newsletter, a post on Facebook, and a post on LinkedIn. All right. Well, I am not going to post a link then when, when this goes live. I suspect you'll be making a hire by then. Uh, but good Hopefully. luck with that. You know, I I think only good things will come from it. But let's jump. My last question about nine to five. So is there any chance that you would consider going back? I know you and I both know Eli, and I was very surprised by his response. He actually told me yes. And it was a combination. Really? He did, I know. I thought for sure he was gonna tell me to go bleep myself or something. Um, but he told me just kind of a combination of one, he wouldn't have to be relying on the money. I think we both know from our conversations and our experiences that freelance has the opportunity to make many multiples that you would otherwise. But he said that freelancing basically can be lonely and he likes to talk and be with people. But also if there was a situation where he felt that, you know, kind of the freelance life didn't challenge him. And he said, those are the two situations that he could see himself actually going back, which I thought was very unique and certainly not trying to, uh, change your answer to this question, but it's one that I'm going to continue to ask everybody that I talk to. 
Well, I mean, you look at a guy like Kevin Indig, right? Like he could easily go out and become a freelancer and run his own consulting business, but he likes the big challenges of companies like G2 and Shopify, right? So certainly like there, there's more than just money to consider with all this, but the thing that would make me say a definite no is that I'm a content creator. So I want to keep doing that. And, you know, if I wanted to really zone in and, you know, I can't say like, I would just say like this, Brian Dean and what he did with Backlinko is super inspiring. Is any SEO notebook even close to that at this point? Not a chance, right? But like, if I, if, if I knew what he did was basically like, you know, pump out, you know, a few articles a week. Um, basically everything that he published on Backlink Low went through his own lens. So he ensured that the quality was like super, super high. Um, you know, he, he did a, he did amazing things through that, right? So um, I, I don't think I will be freelance, you know, doing freelance client work forever. Um, but I don't see myself going um, back to a company and becoming an employee. I more see myself evolving um, how I make my money, um, probably more through content um, than, than actual consulting. I think you and I are very similar in that aspect. And it seems like you and I are also on the same page when it comes to Brian Dean. I had shared recently one of his posts, post acquisition from Semrush and somebody had kind of dug into me on Twitter stating, you know, this is all very obvious. And it was Ross Hudgens, you know, someone that I, you know, value his opinion highly. And he responded, he goes, this may not be net new information or something that, you know, Brian Dean quote unquote coined, but he was able to take a topic that is complicated for most and distill it down into a really easy to read guide with like custom imagery. And I think there's a lot of opportunity in the internet to do just that. Like we're not, it's yeah. the internet is not about necessarily recreating the wheel, but there's so much that is so technical. So dumb it down, help people out. And obviously you could, I mean, they never said how much, you know, he made from that, but we can assume that it was a pretty nice payday. I'll also mention that um, it's worth noting that I have a WordPress plugin that I'm developing right now. Um, called Gscore. It's gscore.io. And basically it helps you integrate search console data into existing content. So that's another area that I'm getting into and that I've already invested um, significant amount of money into this plugin. Um, it's pre-launch, but um, you know, eventually doing some SaaS like that is, is also something that um, is really appealing to me. I think that's going to be very exciting. I'll have to check that out after we hang up here. Jumping into a question about aspiring freelancers, do you have any recommendations or books maybe outside of product-led SEO that you and I both would recommend that you tell people regularly to check out? Yeah, for sure. So there's a book called um, The Go-Giver, uh, which is um, basically it encourages you to give away all your knowledge without um, any restrictions. Um, and it focuses on you wanting to scale the way that you give away your knowledge. So don't just give away all your knowledge on a one-to-one -one type of relationship. Try to give it away to many people. So the obvious one there is social media. 
Um, but for me, it's also my newsletter. Um, and basically the idea there is like, you give away all this knowledge, you build up a level of reciprocity with your audience. Then you let your audience know how they can help you. They can sign up to SEO notebook or they can hire me. And then, um, those people end up giving back to you. Right. So that's kind of like the, the basic tenets of that book, the go-giver. And then there's another one called uh, Million Dollar Consulting, which Eli, I know, recommended to you as well. And uh, that just basically is, yeah, the value-based pricing, how to structure your contracts, um, just a lot of like the business side of being a consultant. I loved the Million Dollar Consultant. I'm not a big reader, but I couldn't put that one down. So I'm going to take your advice and I'm going to be ordering Go Giver too. You only need the one Go Giver book. There's like four editions of them. You just need the one. It's like two okay. hour long book. Yeah, it's super short. Yeah, I know Alan has like a hundred books too. So I've been trying to look at those as well. Maybe the million dollar speaking might have value as well. Um, but definitely those two seem like a, a great head start for anybody who's looking for reading materials. But finally, I just wanted to thank you, Steve. Really appreciate your time today. For people that are listening, can you share with us how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, for sure. So um, you can subscribe to my weekly strategy email list um, at seonotebook.com. And then um, you can also just find me on LinkedIn, um, Steve Toth, T-O-T-H, um, on Twitter, very rarely. So it's not the best place to follow me, but uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I will make sure to include all those links as well as the resources that Steve had recommended below. Thank you, Steve. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Nick. Bye-bye. This concludes the second episode of the SEO Freelancer Podcast. If you want to be alerted to when the next episode will be going live, please sign up for email alerts at theseofreelancer.com.